At the time of the epistles of John and Jude, doubts about Christ's true identity and purpose had already begun to spread. The campaign to deny Christ was in full swing and it rages on today. Fortunately for us, witnesses of His mission and divinity abound. If we are willing to forge ahead in faith to gain our own witness, we will be able, like Christ Himself, to overcome the world. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. It's so easy to get caught up in the world because the world is so interesting. I mean, you have a lot of lights and color and sounds, and as humans, as the natural man, that's intriguing to us. But what I found, it's so much easier to get lost in the world when we surround ourselves with the world. So I try to make sure that my home is a place where the world is not as prevalent and it's more focused on Christ. I've found that it's become a lot easier for me to overcome the world when I stop fighting it. Um, I love in Second Nephi where it talks about how agency only works if we're going to be enticed by good and evil. So, um, you know, if there's this enticing world out there, then God's there enticing me by something too. And rather than sitting there trying to fight against the current of the world, to recognize that there's another current, a current of light and of the gift of the Holy Ghost that's coming at me, and rather than trying to fight the world, um, to just give in to God um, has made it so much easier, um, especially just emotionally and mentally, to, um, to just give in to God rather than fighting the world. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Kerry Muelstein. He is a professor of ancient scripture at BYU and also has taught at the BYU Jerusalem Center. Carrie has degrees from BYU in Psychology and Ancient Near Eastern Studies, as well as a PhD from UCLA in Egyptology and Hebrew Language and Literature. He and his wife have six children and one grandchild. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. So good to be with you. And next to Carrie is our special guest, Ian Giddens. Ian works to help young people as an assistant coordinator with For the Strength of Youth. Welcome, Ian. It is really, really great to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you for being here. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 1st through 3rd John and the Epistle of Jude. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, as I exercise faith in Jesus Christ and am born again, I can overcome the world. And second, I can become like Jesus Christ. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll move on to footnotes, which is a segment of the show where we let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Carrie and Aya. Okay, Carrie, as we jump into this first topic, as I exercise faith in Jesus Christ and am born again, I can overcome the world. What will help us understand this topic more from these specific scriptures? I think we need to understand a little bit of, of what 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Jude are and what's going on in the church. So you've got the church has been going for a while. It started to spread. You've got people who've been a member for a while and some who are brand new converts. 
and they've got these local leaders who are also fairly inexperienced, and then you have the, the leaders of the church who are trying to help these guys keep going and stay in line. Uh, and, and you have, of course, the ideas of the world creeping in that, so that apostasy is already starting. So we don't actually know for sure who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In the text, it doesn't ever identify who the author is. Tradition holds that it's John the Revelator or John the Beloved, the same, that's the same person, mm -hmm. right? Um, and part of that is because you'll see that it reads a lot like the Gospel of John. We don't know, but that's a very, very likely candidate. In any case, 1st John is like, a, 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 it's almost a sermon. Uh, it's not really a letter proper, it's a sermon to this congregation. And then 2nd uh, and 3rd John are, are letters. And then Jude is written, uh, the author claims to be Jude, the brother of James, and this seems to be not James like Peter, James, and John, but James, the brother of Jesus. And so if, if that really is the author, and it seems like it is, then this is the brother of Jesus writing this, and they both are writing to strengthen the church, but in particular because there's some ideas that have been creeping mm -hmm. into the church that need to be corrected as that this young church is trying to stay faithful. That's something that we can relate to, Ian. In the scriptures, it refers to the saints as little children. Mm -hmm. And what are some things that we can connect to being young, being youthful, as far as it relates to early membership in the church? Mm. It makes me think of how Satan, he really tries to, well, it's his goal to be the God of the world. And in a sense, he succeeded because he's the God of worldliness. He's very aware of the tactics to kind of take us away from the gospel, to take us away from the church and from Christ. And it's important to cling to Christ, to cling to the things he's taught. And I'm grateful that back then they did what they could to get rid of the corruptions. But we just, we got to stay true to it because the adversary is good at what he does. Yes, he is. Okay, so Carrie, what are some of the things specifically pertaining to this time period that Satan is doing to pull some of these new members away? I'd say at least the things that John is addressing, there are two main things. Okay. One is the distraction of the world, just uh, worldliness. Uh, and that's why our, our topic is so fitting. The other, there seems to be a specific individual who he says he, he has come from among us, but John is saying now I recognize he never really was of us, who seems to be, and, and we don't have this written anywhere, we're just piecing it together from what John is kind of teaching against, but he seems to have uh, bought so much into the idea of Christ's divinity that whoever this individual is, he doesn't believe that Christ really fully took upon him mortality. Okay. And so the idea is that, well, Christ didn't really manifest himself in the flesh. It was some way that we thought it was Christ in the flesh, as opposed to this is the Son of God made manifest in the flesh. And so John is writing against that specific heresy, but just against the ideas of the world in general, because what that really was, was mixing of ideas of the world with the ideas in the scriptures and you come up with a hybrid that isn't going to help us stay true to the gospel. And we, we in, in the book of Jude, if we can go there, in the first chapter, uh, we get an idea of what is happening. Uh, verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, are there other passages in here that can kind of shed some light 
uh, as to what is what specifically is going and and then maybe we can have Ian uh, draw some connections to what we see today um, that relates to what they're seeing back then. Okay. So I, I think one of the things that Jude does is he tries to compare what's going on with the little congregation he's writing to with what's gone on with Israel as a whole. Okay. Saying that when you have disbelief creep in, you need to get rid of it. So look at the, the very next verse. Um, where he starts to lead them through kind of some examples of that. So verse five, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Right, so the, the idea is he delivered them from Egypt, but then there were some unbelievers, so he had to let that whole generation die out mm-hmm. and before he had a believing generation that could come into the promised land. So he's saying that's that's what we have to do right now. We have to destroy, either dispel the unbelievers from among us or dispel the unbelief from within us and have only believers left. And then uh, we get the same thing uh, as he goes through in chapter, verse six, he talks about even those who didn't keep their first estate or verse seven, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed to get rid of the wickedness. And then uh, maybe we could read verse eight, and, and nine. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak uh, evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. So you see what he's doing there. He's saying, you've got all sorts of stuff from the beginning of time down into our day. There are people who are trying to, to have worldliness creep into us. And he's saying, look, even Michael calls on the power of the Lord to get rid of this. That's where we need to do, where we need to turn and what we need to do is bring the power of the Lord into our lives to resist the power of the world. So Ian, what are some of the things that you see are creeping in and and what advice uh, or even from your own personal experience, what are some of the things that you do to overcome some of these things of the world? I'm grateful for technologies and medias that we have because truly they can be used for good mm-hmm. if we choose to do so. Oh, we're, we're living proof of it right now. Yes. You know, we have this, this opportunity to discuss these things it's to a wide audience. Absolutely. Um, something I love about scripture study is focusing on verbs. Okay. Because I think there's power in that word in verse four when it says men crept in, crept. Because as good as media can be, we can see things creeping in, Mm -hmm. you know, on Instagram and the movies. I love to go to the movie theaters. And so sometimes when I'm sitting in a good movie, I see just wickedness creeping in. And and it makes me sad because kids are viewing these, young adults. um, We're in a time in our lives where we're looking to know where we are and to understand who we are. And to, to see the world creep in evil things or just making fun of religion and making, you know, breaking the commandments look fun. Um, that's kind of some of the evil things that are creeping into the media that we're using every day. Tell me some of the things that you do to, to help avoid some of these things uh, and overcome some of the temptations that are out there. I think that it's important to to do what you believe and to be an example, to walk the talk. Okay. I love the gospel and I'm living it and I'm having a good time. So I just try to post about it, 
tell my friends. I text people versus sometimes. Maybe that's a little dramatic. <laughs> but I just, I'm trying to do the best that I can to overcome it. I love it. That's great. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear from the audience on your thoughts on what are some things that we can do ourselves to help overcome the world. Madison. There are times in my day where I really want something to happen and I'll be at school and I'm like, I just don't wanna be here right now. And my mom and I have started something called Something Better. And so as I'm sitting there, I actually hear that it's a half day. I don't have to be at school for as long. And so I'm always texting my mom, hey, something better, guess what? We're always trying to find a little bit of Jesus in our lives. Madison, when your day's going, you know, not as planned perhaps, and things get difficult, how does the Holy Ghost help you focus back on Jesus and the good things that he brings into your life? I just know how to hear my Savior. And so when those things happen, I just get a click in my head of like, that's Jesus. He's the one who's talking to me. And so I'm able to recognize that. And I will give him a long thank you prayer saying, thank you so much for this. I know it was you. And there are many times like that where you notice him. Madison, I think that's great that you've been able to recognize how the Savior speaks to you. I think that's the first step. Um, as we're all trying to figure out who we are, I, as a young adult, I'm in my 20s. They call this the decade of decisions. It can be terrifying. <laughs> we got college, we got jobs, we got student loans, we've got all these things kind of weighing on our shoulders. And the only way that's gonna navigate us through it is receiving that revelation. And so uh, prayer, prayer has been a big thing for me, taking the time to speak to him and then taking the time to pause after you said amen so that he can give you the direction mm -hmm. you need. I love revelation. Thank you, Madison. That was good. I mean, what Madison said really points us to what it really takes to overcome the world, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, what do we learn from these chapters, Carrie, that can point us to focusing on Christ and how through him we can overcome the world? There, there are some verses that I think are, are really important, and and I I'm, I'm agree with what everyone's been saying. I, I think this is one of the biggest challenges any generation right now has. It's one of the biggest challenges in the world right now, but especially the kind of youth and young adult generation are being slammed so hard right now by ideas of the world that uh, make them feel like if, if they are going to be true to God, then they're gonna be hated by the world. Mm. And, uh, and if they're going to be okay with the world, then something's wrong with what God is teaching them. When we have the Spirit with us, when, when uh, we're being prompted or changed or directed by the Holy Ghost like we've been talking about, one of the ways that, that we can do that is, is we or can tell that's happening is that we feel this love for God and we feel this love for each other. And then God can change us because naturally, the natural man in us wants to be like the world. Mm -hmm. But when God is changing us, there's a tension between us and the world, but that tension is overcome by a love of God and each other. How do we live in that community centered and love while we have differing opinions on, on some really um, heavy, heavy topics? Mm. For me, it's important to just look at the person, look at okay. the heart. Sometimes we focus too much on uh, opinions and, and what individuals may, may feel. We can separate ourselves. We can kind of escape from the opportunity to love as our Savior asked us to. So I think it's just important to remember that we're all 
sons and daughters of, of God. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. We have our differences, but that's the most important thing we have in common. Okay, so what's one of the blessings that you have received, Ian, for staying on that path and trying your best to overcome the world? I just, I have this happiness I can't explain. Okay. I really, I wake up in the morning and I'm just happy. <laughs> and it's because of my Savior. I know it's because of Him. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you both for sharing with us during this first discussion. And for the audience, thank you as well for giving us of your thoughts and for sharing your spirit with us. And for you at home, how have you been able to overcome the world through faith in Jesus Christ? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. Someone in my life that's very Christ-like that I look up to is my wife, Tiana. Um, she is just so determined to be better that she doesn't fool herself into thinking that, you know, she's good where she's at, right? I'm, I'm pretty good at that. It takes me a lot longer to change, but Tiana can change for the better so fast because she's so ready to just take accountability for where she's at and to move on. Somebody in my life that I feel like is really Christ-like that I've always looked up to is my older sister. She has always been there to show me how to make that effort to include God in her life and to love others. And it's encouraged me not just to copy what she does, but to find my own relationship with God through my own efforts. And I really, really have appreciated the change that that has made in my life. I think it's so important that we become more like Christ because we were sent here to earth by our Father in heaven to be able to um, become like Him, to, to follow in His footsteps. He went before us and He set the example and our Heavenly Father wants us to come home. And the only way we can come home is by following our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our second topic we're gonna to discuss today is I can become like Jesus Christ. Carrie, what sort of uh, context can you provide for us as we jump into our second topic? I think it's, it's one of the things that John is really trying to get us to understand in this uh, kind of long sermon that is first John. I, I think he, again, he's, he's dealing with someone who seems to think that Christ wasn't really mortal and he's trying to show us he was mortal and divine, but that means since we're mortal that there is a connection here and, and we can become something. Okay. Mm. So if we were to go to, to 1 John chapter 1, and let's just read verses 8 through 9. Uh, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that's one of the first things we have to realize that the, the world is in us to go back to the topic we were just covering, right? We, we're fallen beings. We've got sin. The world is part of us. So we can't pretend like that's not the case. But once we realize that it is, we get to verse nine. If we confess our sins, he, meaning Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's a, a beautiful thing, right? It's, it's not saying we have to be perfect. It's saying you have to recognize that you're not perfect and then, presumably coming unto Christ, he doesn't say that, but as we come unto Christ, he can cleanse us and make us something different. It's just a, a beautiful theme that he hits right there at the beginning. So as we talk about this idea of becoming like Christ, it can be a little overwhelming. And, and Ian, I wanna talk to you for a second about, I have a bunch of siblings and I have older siblings and it can be kind of nice. tough. Um, you have a really good family name. So do you find it sometimes difficult to, to live up to that family name that you've been given? When I was younger, yes. Okay. Because I'd go to the stores and people would say, oh, you're Giddens, and I'd say, here we go again. <laughs> but if anything, 
I grew to enjoy it and love it as I understood what my parents stand for and who they are. So as I grew to understand their qualities and why they do what they do, I was proud to be Giddens. So Carrie, as we talk about this idea of becoming like Christ, what are some of the ways that John describes Christ that we can look towards, you know, uh, maybe some characteristics or, or things that we can try to emulate and bring into our own lives? There are two that he seems to hit on a lot. And again, this is going to be so similar to what we saw in, in the Gospel of John. Uh, very similar. But let's go back to chapter 1. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin." So you can see, again, this, this way that it's Christ that's cleansing us. But here, one of the characteristics he's really clear about is light and having light and not darkness. And that, mm. that, that's really mm -hmm. a synonym for godliness as opposed to worldliness, right? They're, they're, they're the same okay. thing, but we have to cleave to the light and leave darkness, flee from darkness, run towards light. Mm. Okay, so we have to cleave to the light. Matthew talks about letting our light shine for all mm. to see. So I, and from your experience in working with the youth growing up in this modern world, what are some ways that you've seen others becoming that light? I believe it's important to go where the spirit is. Okay. I was able to be a missionary. One of the best things I've ever done for my life. <laughs> I loved it very much, but I was medically released. I had this awful injury really broke my heart when I received the news that I would need to come home because I was so immersed in the light. Mm -hmm. I was being like Christ every day. And I thought, why, why do I have to go home? It was a really sad moment for me. But as I went home, I, I tried to unfortunately be who I was in the past. I tried to find other avenues for fullness of joy, but only by finding where the Holy Ghost was and returning to those places where Christ is, was I able to, to be like him again? We all have periods where there's some darkness. Maybe mm -hmm. it's depression, anxiety, just mm -hmm. tough things, yeah. injury, health concerns, or just the world ganging up on us. Mm -hmm. We're all going to have times when darkness hits us. And our temptation is when we feel that darkness, we don't want to go towards the light. We want to gravitate towards something dark. So maybe we're going to binge watch a dark show or something mm -hmm. like that. We, we, we kind of, when, when we're feeling darkness, we gravitate towards darkness, but it's exactly when we need the light. Yes. And when people have faith crises and things like that, so that darkness is hitting them, they go to darkness. It's like Brigham Young said, when you don't feel like praying, that's when you need it the most. When you don't feel like doing things that bring light into your life, you have to force yourself. You have to realize that's when I need the light the very most and do those things that invite the mm -hmm. spirit into your life. Go to those things you don't feel like doing. Yes. Just make yourself do it. Go to the light. I'm just pleading with people. Don't wallow in the darkness. Go to the light. In your efforts to become more like the Savior, how do you invite light into your life? Emily. I love this theme of light. Elder Uchtdorf has touched on this many times truth, love, light, and I think they all flow together beautifully. And I think when we um, know our identity, who we are, that's the truth. 
And, and when we forget that, that brings darkness into our life because that's a lie. And when we live our life knowing why we're here to love as Jesus did and not to hate, that also brings the light in. And we go through hard things in our life. And I think that how else could we know the Savior than by going through these hard things that bring us to Him? And He went through the hardest of all. And how else can we become like Him? And Emily, how does the Holy Ghost help you recognize this light and help you become more like the Savior? When I'm striving to have the Spirit in my life, I feel a difference daily. I feel that light and that love and the truth of, and I'm living that way. I'm living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I'm not, and I feel the darkness creep in, I know that I'm not living how He would have me live. And I'm just grateful for this knowledge and that I can always strive every day to be more like Him and, and repent and realign. You know, I love what Emily's saying about we're striving you know, as we take this light in, it's not, that's not the end goal. Mm. We're continually striving every day to become more like him. Kara, you had mentioned that there were two things uh, that we read about in the scriptures about becoming like Jesus. The first was light. What was the second one? The second one is love. And it's, it's a huge theme all throughout First John. He just talks about love again and again and again. In fact, maybe, uh, Ian, could you read verse 7 through 9, and then maybe we'll, we'll get uh, Ben to read 10 through 12. Okay. Absolutely. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Good. And of course, it's, it's worth noting that Joseph Smith's translation changed to verse 12, that no man had seen God at any time except them who believe. And then he talks about love. But you see that how love is such an important part. And this is a great thing to talk about here at the Christmas season mm -hmm. as well, because we had this verse that's so similar to John 3.16. One of the reasons people think this is the same author, where he says that, that God sent uh, his son because he loved us. Right, and, and because God is full of love and Christ is like God, Christ is full of love, and that teaches us that we should be full of love. And that seems to be what John is trying to teach us here. So that's why he says, if we love one another, God is with us and, and so on. But this, this, really it's the two great commandments. Mm -hmm. This need to love God and to love each other is the primary characteristic of Christ. And if we want to become like Christ, that's the starting place. And one of the things that Christ is, did in his mortal ministry was broaden that aspect of love and, and who to love. Mm -hmm. And we had a, a question coming from one of our viewers um, that kind of that touches on this. And I would love to get some of your thoughts on it. My name is Jenna Livingston. I'm from Santa Clarita, California. My question is, in these times of shifting values and beliefs in family, marriage, gender, 
how do we continue to show compassion and love toward anyone of any ideas about those things without compromising our own standards or values or becoming antagonistic toward modern day revelation? It's pretty easy to love those who get along with you and yeah. have the same values and the same beliefs. I think this is a really powerful question. Ian, I'm going to get your opinion first please on do. this. Please do. Please do. Whenever I think of the Savior, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that whenever a miracle happened, it's because he had compassion on the person. Christ, he, he would go into those communities. He'd go into those spaces where people were thinking, Christ, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. We don't talk to them. We don't do that on Sunday. But Christ recognized that miraculous things could take place, and they did. And I love that question from Jenna because as we have compassion, as we do what we can, uh, miracles can, can happen for sure. How can you show love and compassion to others while maintaining your own standards and beliefs? Ashley. So I actually like to think of it in two ways. One, I like to remember that they are also a child of God. As Ian said, that they, uh, Heavenly Father loves them just like He loves me. And second, I like to remember that I have my own flaws and I have my own problems. And so I don't need to be spending all of my energy judging them. I need to be working on strengthening myself. Ashley, how does taking that approach uh, help you view others? And overall, how does that help bring the Spirit into your life? I actually rely a lot on the Spirit to help me understand them. So I've had it actually happen a lot in the past where I have prayed and said, help me to see them the way you see them. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I no longer feel frustrated with them when they do something different. It's That's maybe their weakness. Maybe it was a mistake. But I really, really try to think I am just like they are. So I can't judge them for sinning differently than I do. And Ashley, do you feel that doing that is helping you to become more like Christ? And if so, how? Um, I rely a lot more on the Spirit. And it's it's amazing because I've had the Spirit say to me and testify to me, um, just be kind or to be gentle. Um, one of the times um, I actually had the Spirit repeat in my mind over and over again, be kind, be gentle, be grateful. And I realized as I did those things, I treated that person so different. And I realized I was grateful for who they were and I did everything I could to be kind. And um, that created a, a more gentle person in me, a more gentle spirit. You know, Ashley said something that I wanna get your opinion on about how, um, and you had touched on it earlier as well, about viewing them as a child of God. How important is it as we look at others in the world around us that we truly understand not only our identity, but theirs as well? It's very important because that's what's going to create a Zion, you know? That's what's going to help us get to where Christ is trying to take us. As we, yeah, as you said, that's a beautiful thing, is we first understand who we are as children of God. And then as we go out and treat people like that, this will become a little safe haven. And I think maybe we can even add if we can help them have being a child of God as their primary identity. Mm -hmm. the, the differences between us, if we think of uh, ourselves first as I, I hold to this teaching of the prophet and you don't, uh, then that's a problem. <laughs> but if I think of you primarily as a child of God and you think of you primarily as a child of God and, and we both think of me that way, then mm -hmm. the differences tend to disappear a lot. Yeah. You know, I love as we talk about our second topic of becoming like Jesus, 
to up to us to make those choices that'll help keep us headed down that path of becoming like him. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts and insights with us and the audience. You were wonderful. Thanks for being here with us today and sharing with us as well. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from these passages with Carrie, Ian, and a new guest in Footnotes coming up next. The Spirit communicates to me in many different ways. Recently, it's been through the scriptures, it's been through other people, it's also been through certain situations where I can tell that it's the hand of the Lord and not just a coincidence. The Spirit communicates to me through um, feelings in my heart, thoughts that come to my mind. I love hearing the words of the prophets. I feel like their words are really inspiring and the Spirit can help me see um, phrases, words, things that stand out to me from that. I also love looking at the examples of others around me. I learn a lot from people's strengths and what they bring as well. The Spirit communicates with me with through a still small voice most of the time. I do get impressions sometimes that I should do something or shouldn't do something, but most of the time I just have to have a quiet time each day to listen to the voice of the Spirit to see if there's something I need to be doing. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've talked with Carrie and Ian about how the love of God helps us to be born again, how to overcome the world, and how to be more like Christ. As we dive deeper into these scriptures, I'd like to welcome another guest for Footnotes, Brent Schmidt. Brent is a professor in the Religious Education Department at Brigham Young University, Idaho. He has a PhD in Classics and an academic interest in New Testament studies. He enjoys traveling and leading tours to the Mediterranean region. Welcome, Brent. Thank you, Beth. It's good to be with you. Okay, Brent, so we're excited to learn from you. You have a lot of insight and knowledge into the epistle of Jude and, uh, and of course, the other scriptures in general. So I just want to give some time to you to teach us about Jude and anything else that we've been studying this week. Jude is a fantastic epistle. Sometimes it's neglected but it was probably written by the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude is gonna teach us some real basic things about how we can be better disciples and show more love for our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we look here, he's, he's giving diligence to write to us in verse three. And then in verse four, it says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we look at the, the original Greek word here, it's charis, and charis- For, for which word? It's uh, grace, turning the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And charis in the ancient world is either a gift or a favor. In modern times, people give a gift and you might not get one in return, but anciently when somebody gave you a gift like Jesus and his atonement, we should reciprocate by making and keeping covenants. We never can repay Heavenly Father for His gifts. I, I love what you're talking about there. And I, I mean, even at Christmas time, I don't know about you guys, but like we, you know, you give gifts out in the neighborhood and we always have a couple extra sitting by the door because someone's gonna come by right. to give you a gift. You're yes. like, oh, we didn't have a gift for them. Oh, yeah, we got this for you, right? <laughs> right. Because you, you, you do have that reciprocal feeling, you're right. In the ancient world, 
that was really something. And, and it didn't matter. Someone may give you a much bigger gift than you could give back. Mm -hmm. You still gave a little something back. And I think that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about here. And that's why when we talk about grace, it, th this covenant context comes in, right? God gives us so much of the covenant. He can promise us so much. And, and the amount that we can give back is very small, mm. but there is something that we should give back. That's our promises in the covenant. Whereas yeah. he gives us eternal life, we're gonna give him love and obedience, right? Mm. Love and obedience are good, it's not eternal life. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's what you're saying here is that this is a reciprocal gift. Yeah. That the grace is, like the covenant, it's, it's what comes down to us and we're asked for something in return. That mm. doesn't mean it's not grace, it doesn't take away from grace. No, it doesn't. It's right. still a gift. It's just we are expected to, to have a part in this relationship. And it's a, it's a very beautiful thing. I've done a lot of research on the doctrine of, of relational grace, and I felt that Jesus has given me more of the Holy Ghost as I've tried to keep my baptismal and temple covenants. There's a balance we have to strike, Carrie. Yeah. As we talk about grace, works, um, can you help us? Because this has yeah. been a, um, a topic that I think there's been a lot of debate over it. You wanna walk us through some of these things and help us understand this a little bit more? And it's, it can be a pain point for us sometimes, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see that it was a pain point here in the ancient world. Both John and, and Jude uh, are dealing with untruths that have crept in. Okay. And I think we see the same untruths creeping in on both sides of this issue in, in our day, right? We so do. sometimes we think we rely so much on grace that that we can feel fine about sinning because yeah. we don't need to worry. Sometimes we rely so much on uh, being obedient and doing this and this and this that we give up hope because there's no way we can go through that right. whole checklist. Or, or maybe right. we even think we can earn our way to heaven, right. which isn't yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, I, John addresses this beautifully. Let's go to, to 1 John chapter two. My little children, uh, these things write I unto you that uh, ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. Oh, what a beautiful idea to, to have an advocate. And it is comforting, right? and that he makes propitiation. So that, that means he's the one that pays for mm -hmm. our sins. He's, okay. he's that mediator is another way, right? He gets in between us and justice and he makes the payment because he is our advocate. What's interesting when he says, listen, I, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin, but, but you're gonna. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. There, there is a plan for that, you know? So there's exactly this idea right. of look, the hope is that you don't sin, but we know you're going to sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. Therefore, we have an advocate. Right. And then the next thing is, though, that you need to be serious about this, though. If you really love Christ, you'll be keeping his commandments. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember that uh, same commandment that Christ gave, yeah. if ye love me, keep my commandments. Yes. And here he's saying, don't fool yourself. If you're not keeping the commandments, you're not really following him. Mm -hmm. But then... He brings it immediately back again because it is true that we need to keep the commandments, but none of us will do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And if right. that's our focus, then it's a problem. Remember verse five, whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. 
as the Spirit changes us to be more full of love for God, mm. then keeping the commandments, it's not a chore, it's not a to-do list, yeah. it's a natural extension of who we are. We're doing it because we love God, yeah. mm -hmm. and so we keep the commandments. Will we keep them perfectly? No. Will we be loving God perfectly? No. But it's a cycle, right, that he'll make propitiation, he changes us, so we love him, so we're better at it, and so on and so on. But if we don't do our part, if we're not trying to keep the commandments, and it really is a trying, a striving, yeah. yes. then we're not going to be able to fully partake of the grace because we're not doing yeah. our part. We won't be enabled if we're not reciprocating. That's right. Yeah. And I love the, this Greek word here in verse five, where we talk about, it, it, literally in Greek, it says the, the he agape mm -hmm. to theu. And if you look up this, this Greek word, there are actually four, four words in ancient Greek for love, but this is a special kind of love that's just used in Homeric Greek. Mm -hmm. And then it's used later in the New Testament. And it usually refers to some kind of familial love where you love someone like you'd love your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. And hopefully we have that kind of love for our Heavenly Father because He loves us like mm. His children. As we were talking, um, I wanted to get your opinion, Ian, on, mm -hmm. on some of these things about this idea of we really struggle uh, perhaps with finding that balance between I have to be perfect or, uh, or I'll, I'll be saved you know, because God is so good. What have you seen uh, in, in your life with with trying to find that balance between grace and works uh, among mm -hmm. uh, the youth today. Mm -hmm. What's beautiful is that, well, we were bonding over our favorite song, I'm Trying to Be Like Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's that key word of trying. Yeah. He just wants us to give it a try, you know, as his children. And as a future parent, like if my child is trying to walk and they stumble, I'm not going to get mad at them. Right. The awesome thing is that they took a one step and they're trying. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that, and especially just the fact that to, in order to be perfect like Christ, it's going to take some time. Yeah. And it makes me think, I can't remember which general conference talk it was, but Uchtdorf explained that in order to have a good day, improve your hour. In order to have a good hour, improve your minute. Just doing the little things we can to eventually get there. And that's grace. Mm -hmm. Other insights about grace, about works. Maybe just on this same topic, let's just hit a little bit sure. in First in John mm -hmm. chapter 3. Let's start in verse 7 because he uses this phrase, little children. So you remember how yes. at the very beginning we, we talked about how this is, the church hasn't been going that long. Mm -hmm. And some of these are pretty mm -hmm. new converts, right? And, and when he says children, he's not meaning actually his children. He means converts, people who I'm, maybe he has some kind of stewardship over them or something. That's, that's really how he's using this phrase, right? But, but by saying little children, it, it's this idea, I, I know you're still working on this, right? It's okay, like you said. Yeah. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that isn't just in the world, although it's true, he will destroy the works of the devil. What I want is for him to destroy the works of the devil in me. Mm. I want him to kill the natural man. Mm. Now that's gonna be painful but it's what has to happen. He has yes. to kill the devil in me, right? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, does that mean it's impossible for me to commit sin? No, I'll still commit sin. There are some other parts of me that are still the natural man, the devil in me, that will continue to sin until right. I get more grace and then I change. And I love that, um, 
you're it, you're taking it baby steps. Yeah, just sometimes like I am, we can get about. so overwhelmed right. with I've got to change all at once. Whereas, like you know, I'm going to focus on one thing today. Yes, and it's like what Sister Craig talks about how um, what is one thing I'm going to stop doing? What is one thing I'm going to start doing? And yes. really just focus on those little things day by day until mm -hmm. you know you continually progress. It's a yeah. gradual progression. And what a great time of year to think about the gift of God, oh, right? Yes. Yeah. That this yes. is, and we already read some verses about it, but, but th that he gave us Christ because mm -hmm. he loves us, and that's the greatest gift. And, and what, what a wonderful time to focus on that and to ask ourselves, what's one way I can give a gift to Jesus, as in, this is something I'm going to stop doing and a righteous thing I'll start doing. That's the reciprocal gift we can give Jesus this time of year. I have this favorite memory. I remember I was maybe in third grade and my Christmas list that, that year was just incredible. I remember asking for a bell off of Santa's sleigh. I was very needy. <laughs> I asked for just a lot of candy bars, but what I wanted was this toy cruise ship. And I remember getting it that Christmas and I was so happy and I was so excited and I played with it all the time. But if you were to ask me where that cruise ship is today, I couldn't tell you. It faded away, it's gone, mm -hmm. it got old. But that lesson just teaches me that truly the perfect gift is Christ because he will never fade away. He's not like the toys that are just going to collect us in the attic. So that's kind of a memory that I like to remember every Christmas to remind me what the perfect gift is. Brent, any thoughts on, on these chapters that we're studying that uh, stand out to you that you can teach us about? Well, throughout this epistle, it usually refers to the God, which is God the Father, and, and also Jesus Christ. And, and as, you, as we read the, the text naturally in, in John's writings, we, we see this contrast and we, we know that through modern revelation that Heavenly Father and Jesus are separate beings. Mm -hmm. And one evidence of, of apostasy is in 1 John chapter five, and this is called the Jonine comma. It's, it's famous because all scholars know that it was added much later during the Middle <laughs> Ages. Because I've never heard of the Jonine comma. Can you teach us about it and, and, and how it changes the and what verses understanding? So this is in 1 John chapter 5, okay. 7 and 8. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So traditionally, this has been a proof text just to add this idea of an abstract trinity that wasn't in the text. And I'm thankful for the restoration to know that I have a loving Heavenly Father and, and His Son, Jesus Christ, who are, are different, but, mm -hmm. um, but work together. And Jill Smith said, if you could look into yonder heaven for, for five minutes, you'd know more about the nature of God than being confused by some of these proof texts that are in the Bible, but shouldn't be. And I think this also speaks to the fact that the Bible, it's the word of God, but it's not, it isn't perfect. And we really need the Book of Mormon and modern revelation. That reminds me of um, in Second uh, John, talking about, you know, our understanding of, of God, of Christ, of the Holy Ghost. In Second John, verse nine, uh, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. You know, and we see this throughout these chapters that we've been studying about. There is a darkness that is creeping in, trying to separate yes. us from yeah. that truth. 
from the doctrine that exists yeah. out there. And, uh, and of course we see the doctrine of Christ in, in the Book of Mormon, yeah. you know, talking about the importance of modern revelation. Another example is in, in third uh, John, where we can see that apostasy is happening, even this, this early period. And he says here, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. In a lot of ancient texts, they use the first person plural for, for me. But, okay. but this is probably some local ecclesiastical leader who's telling John to go jump in a lake. <laughs> and he's the apostle. <laughs> Which, if, if we go back to, to the verse you read mm -hmm. in the epistle before this, verse 10, the next verse, if there come any man unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. But ironically, here's John not being received by someone who's doing it the wrong <laughs> yeah. way, right? Interesting. Interesting. And yet in our day, we so easily receive people in who are teaching things that are contrary to mm -hmm. the prophets, yeah. right? <laughs> prophets who are like John yes. uh, are teaching us things, and then someone else says, no, it's not this way, or, or the elder uh, so-and-so said it wrong, or elder so-and-so taught something that's not true, and we receive those people and stop receiving the prophets and apostles. What a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. It goes on. He goes on to say in verse 10, that these of, people, of third John, of again, third right? John here, oh, he says, John. wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. This is Diotrephes again, prating against us with malicious words mm -hmm. and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Yeah. So in this particular period, if you are following the prophets, if you're following the apostles, they'll actually kick you out of the church. This, this oh, particular wow. guy, right? Yeah, Diotrephes. Yeah, so, so one guy in one place who is kind of leading this apostasy, right? And we have that happening today. There are yes. people who are like, no, no, don't listen to that part. Don't listen to this part of what the brethren are teaching. Don't listen to that part. One day the brethren will see the light and they'll change this. It, 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 it's a, an eerie echo of mm -hmm. what was happening in the yeah. earliest parts of the early apostasy. What's interesting is we each can have our own personal apostasies as well. Yeah, we can. And I think the important thing to remember is that in order to get out of that, we do need the power of the three. We need Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. Yes. The only way to get to Heavenly Father is through the Savior. And to obtain a witness of him, you need the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see that relationship with the three. I, I think, so well too, said. if you make God abstract, it makes it really hard to trust the Holy Ghost or yeah. trust the Father and making keep covenants with him. Yeah. I want to ask you, Brent, um, You've I've never met anybody who uh, has studied the, the classics, as you say. Um, and I just, I'm curious as to what has, kind of what started this drive for you to study Greek, to study Latin, to really dive in to uh, trying to better understand the scriptures in the New Testament? Well, I think some of us, if we'll, we'll read our patriarchal blessings, I think it can help us to know what to do, but, okay. but my, my patriarchal blessing gives me some guidance on, on loving the scriptures and learning some of these difficult things. And I also was a, a big Hugh Nibley fan as a teenager. <laughs> And I wanted to read Hugh Nibley's Weren't all words. teenagers? <laughs> well, you'll have to explain what this is to me. I, I'm not familiar with Hugh Nibley. <laughs> so it's another generation, right? <laughs> <laughs> so for my generation, he was the scholar. The, the, right. uh, not the first one. Sidney okay. Sperry probably was the first one. But, but he was one of the first to really know a lot of ancient languages okay. and bring a lot of things to us from, from mm -hmm. those. Okay, cool. And I've, I've tried to follow a lot of his footnotes uh -huh. and, and Greek and Latin, and I, I'm amazed at how good he was at these languages. And, and also these, studying these languages has helped me to realize that an apostasy did happen and we need a restoration. Well, your faith is evident, you know, just to, to, 
what you've been able to to glean from you know your years of study. It's it's been amazing, and thank you so much for sharing that with us. Carol, I'll ask you the same thing. You know, you have a very unique um, skill set uh, of things you've studied. Um, you know, throughout your career, what is one thing you've you've learned about uh, the Savior and His life and His mission from your your life's work? I would say it is how much the Savior does and desires the same things the Father does, and that mm. the Father loves us and wants to have a relationship uh, with us. And so he was willing to create a covenant and send his son to make it possible for that covenant to be fulfilled. And that his son, because he loves the Father and will desire the same things as the Father, did that. He condescended to come and fulfill those covenantal promises so that we can be exalted and be with God again. And I'm gonna piggyback off of that comment to go to Ian. Mm -hmm. Ian, what keeps you on that covenant path? Oh, many things. But if anything, it's just the knowledge that Heavenly Father is my Father. I truly believe that. It's a beautiful thing that that's the first thing they want missionaries to teach when they knock on people's doors that God is our loving Heavenly mm -hmm. Father. Because once that is obtained in a testimony, reality can change. And so I know who I am and I'm grateful for Heavenly Father and, and He's what's keeping me. You know, uh, I'm, I'm just so impressed that um, uh, with Ian and, and just the hope mm -hmm. that, that there is you know, because really you, um, the things that you're able to add and just the way you carry yourself and, and the spirit you have, it really does show that uh, that we can have a hope uh, in overcoming some of the things of the world. And you've just been so great at, at sharing and teaching and, and just with your experience uh, in life of just what is to come when you put your faith and your trust in Christ and what we can overcome as we focus on his doctrine. Well, thank you all so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And I really mean that. Thank you so much for joining us, Brent. Thank you. Ben. Ian, you were wonderful. So oh, great you. to have you. Can't wait to see you on campus. Yes. At UVU Institute. Excited. Everyone enroll for Institute. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Kara, it's always a pleasure to, to meet with you and work with you. Likewise. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from 1st through 3rd John and the Epistle of Jude. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Join us next week as we use the book of Revelation to discuss how Christ knows each of us personally and will help us overcome our trials as we turn to Him. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.